And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. Hello, hustlers. Welcome back. Startup Hustle. I'm excited to be back in the saddle. This is my first show uh, of the new year. And so super excited about today's guests. We were, we were chatting ahead of the show. But before I get into that, um, I want to give a shout out to our to our sponsor for today's episode. Um, I was listening to their podcast as well. It's another podcast. Um, and this episode is supported by Compiler, an, an original podcast from Red Hat discussing high tech's uh, high tech topics, big, small, and strange. Honestly, in, anything and everything. The episode that I was specifically listening to um, was talking about what's changing in tech hubs, uh, and it was super informative, covering everything from um, you know how they're gentrifying cities and and how they're changing landscapes in that way. How they're um, you know Kansas City is a city I'm from and and where I'm operating out of. Um, and tech coming into our city has made a massive change uh, on our economy. So an awesome show, Compiler um, by Red Hat. You have to check it out. Now to today's guest, Glenn Hopper. Welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, a little bit of a mouthful, um, but I'm super excited to have you on the show. Uh, Glenn is a CFO um, and brings, he's also been a founder. He's also been an employee, all of the things we're going to get into that. Um I love starting the show, Glenn, with just getting to know a little bit about you, um, not just what you're doing right now, but, you know, how you got into this space, um, you know, like your origin story a little bit. So if you wouldn't mind sharing some of that with me, you've said you've been a founder, you're a CFO now, you've been part of a couple exits. It sounds like there's quite a bit there, but let's just spend the next few minutes kind of digging into that. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess trying to quickly summarize my, I'm old, so like my, my last huh. 20 years in the business world, I guess. Um, I started out um, when I finished my MBA. Um, before I got my MBA, I was a journalist. So I had a weird decision to make of, do I want to sort of stay in the written word area or do I want to go into business? And, uh, you know, obviously businesses, there's a chance to make a lot more money than uh, in the journalism profession for the most part. So yeah. I... I was picking between, I'd narrowed down my job search to two different jobs. And one was going to be, I was going to go to an ad agency and be a copywriter. And it was cool. It was a startup. It was the dot-com boom back then. And it was would have been a great job. And the other was um, actually in marketing um, for a startup telecommunications company. And there were stock options and employee ownership. And I thought, this sounds you know, sounds cool. Let's Let's see where this goes. And really, once I got in, I think I was the 75th employee at this telecom company that eventually, you know, through M&A over the years, I was there about seven years and okay. we got, you know, so many M&A deals. And by the time I left, there were 1,500 employees or so. So it was so fun to be a part of growing that business from nothing, you know, from an idea up to a business that was bought by a national telecom company that I was hooked and I left. I've done, I don't know, I've been either a founder or an active participant in 
five companies since I left there, um, but I've been an investor and advisor on another you know dozen or so companies in the startup space. So I've really spent the last twenty years um, helping startups. And, and I was telling you before the show when I, I come in now, I'm a I'm kind of the boring guy. It's really fun when it's all blue sky and it's the founders and you're just doing everything you can to come up with your product and to uh, serve your client and everything. And everybody's kind of cowboy and just inventing it as they go. But you hit this point where, okay, you've got to start identifying your processes. And as unfun as that can seem, it's necessary. And that's, I've sort of carved out a niche there in the recent, in the last five or 10 years. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm there right now. Um, you know, we've scaled, we're 30 employees, um, it's, it's a necessity to get extremely organized and, um, SOPs and processes, just like, not just our new year's resolution. It's been our, our theme for the last couple of years. Um, it can just be so hard if you're, a, if you're a creative, you know, um, to become super processed, uh, as a process focused person, but it's so necessary to get to the, to the next level. I, it might be cliche to say, but it's like, um, what brought me here was necessary, but it's not what's going to take me there, so to speak. And I think that's really when you start getting, whether it's firms or private equity firms looking at your business to buy it or to exit, they're going to say, how, okay, what happens if we take you out of it? You know, how process, uh, how, how much systems and, and process do you have in place? And um, my question really to you, I think you kind of just skipped over it a little bit. I used to be a full-time musician um, before I moved into um, networking and security. That was my degree. And so I moved into that after school. Um, but for five years, probably I was I was traveling and, and being a creative. And it was really where my first like startup. Uh, I wouldn't think of it like that. But, you know, we were scheduling tours and, um, you know, doing the B2B thing and branding, creating product and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was tired of being broke. And, you know, uh, kind of went, I found another passion and that was e-commerce. Um, but what, what were you doing in journalism? Um, and what really kind of made you take the leap to, to be a CFO? It's almost complete opposite, you know? Yeah. Um, I got married. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I love journalism and I always, if there were, uh, you know, in another universe, I would love to be a fiction writer. So like, I mean, I, I think at my, at my heart, I was a creative and, but I think, if you can marry the two, then you're kind of this unicorn and you can really mm -hmm. provide value. And that's, uh, so in, you know, you, so I moved away from journalism, but it doesn't, it doesn't ever leave your body. So I, the reason I'm doing, and the reason I'm yammering on to podcasters all over the globe these days is because I actually just published a book, Deep Finance, um, okay. about what I do. And the funny thing is I don't, I have a day job. I didn't, I don't, I don't have any uh, illusions that I'm even going to make any money off of this book, but I'm, I was compelled to follow that creative side and that, that passion um, to, uh, you know, if I'm figuring something out, the way I kind of think through it is through the written word. And I feel like I've been in the space long enough and I've worked with enough companies and I'm seeing these same issues over and over that let me, you know, let me put all this together and see what happens to it. And it turns out when I put it together, I had, uh, you know, 50 something thousand words of kind of a roadmap for how you do this uh, move from startup to scale up. And it's funny when I started writing the book and even with the title and everything, it's not necessarily just for the small and mid-sized businesses that are getting ready to ramp up, but that's where, that's where I've been. So everything is sort of tailored to that audience. And I've found as I've been doing my road shows, promoting the book, 
they're the people who need it the most. So uh, that's why I love coming on your podcast and talking to your audience because it's uh, it's the kind of information that really resonates with people exactly in your space. No, I love it. Um, and I like to share some of my own stories or failings or whatever. I think it's just helpful. Like when I'm tuning into a podcast, that's the kind of stuff I really like perks my ears up is when a founder is really sharing some of that. Um, you know, for me, I when I first started this business, I had a partner. Um, seven, we're seven years in, so takes it back a little bit. Um, and I didn't know anything about finance really. I knew how to run my own budget. Um, you know, but that these were the roles that she took, uh, you know, it was finance, it was the accounting, the payroll and, uh, HR for three of us or whatever it was. Um, you know, but she was handling those things and I was becoming an expert at Amazon in e-commerce. And as a creative e-commerce was amazing for me because it was equal part technology, but also like outside the box thinking. And, you know, you can just do anything almost in e-commerce, uh, even 10 years ago. But I had this huge insecurity around, you know, QuickBooks and, uh, you know, what are all these acronyms? And, you know, it wasn't that I was bad at a budget, always ran my own, always, you know, always had enough to pay bills and things like that. Well, it wasn't until necessity, number one, which was I bought out my partner um, and took over the accounting and bookkeeping and things like that. And also like the direction for the company. Um, but I actually went to a... Um, went to Babson College for uh, Goldman Sachs program. Um, and there they run you through these different days. And we did a finance day. Uh, and it was like one where I didn't know, you don't know what you don't know, you know, and I really just got a little bit of confidence leaving that, um, that program and came back and was just like, you know what, I'm just going to own this. Um, and I'm going to dig in and ask questions. And if I sound dumb, I don't care. And, you know, I'm going to get a handle on this. And a couple years later, like I feel, you know, way better than that, but it became, um, just way more comfortable in getting the, the accounting and the books and the finance in line to where I could understand it and I could make sense of it and I could, you know, do what I wanted to do with that. And it's like, you only learn by doing, um, not not everyone, but I really learned by doing and just getting my hands dirty. And um, you're, you know, as any, I think any founder can relate to this or any entrepreneur is like you're only as sustainable as as your finances, right? Whether it's getting funding, whether it's like keeping cash flow in line, I think those are the, like the number one cause of of businesses closing is cash flow issues. Um, finance just becomes the ultimate, the the number one thing to focus on, um, and it's something that. You just have to dig in and find those resources. Like to, to me, I guess what I'm saying is I'm now at that point where it's like I've kind of done what I can do and, and conquered those things and um, got us to here. But whether it's a CFO, whether it's an outsourced partner, whether it's a fractional employee um, to get to that next level of scale, uh, this just has to be buttoned up. And, um, you know, I'm super stoked about this convo just to talk about um, what other companies are doing at scale and how you, you know, this, this, um, service that you guys provide, whether it's the SaaS, I know there's a lot of elements to it and we'll get into that, but how exactly you're helping companies. Um, so author, okay. Still writing books, which I'm happy about. I wanted to give you a plug for that and it's called deep finance. And where can people find the book? Uh, just about anywhere, uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble target, you know, you, you name it anywhere. It's, it's oh. distributed by Simon and Schuster. So pretty much any bookstore in the world, you can find it. Okay. So. I love it. I love it. Um, I can't help you on Amazon because Simon Schuster won't let me, but, <laughs> but I already know that I've been down that road. Um, but, but now, um, 
a CFO and still still dabbing into those passions. Um, I absolutely love it. And I think anything, anytime you create something to create value, because you're just like, I have to share this with the world. I love that. And I think, um, I think that's, that's a book I'm trying to pick up. Um, okay. So you're, you're a CFO. Um, how, how long ago did you join this team and, and where are you, where are you taking it? Let's, yeah. talk, let's talk about that. So I've been here almost exactly a year. The, uh, I work for a company called Sandline Global. We're a legal technology company um, and we provide e-discovery services. Uh, we use in what we do, it's, there's a SaaS component to it. There's a transactional services component to it. Um, there's some manual work. There's some pretty cool machine learning, artificial intelligence stuff that we do for document review and stuff. Um, but it's an interesting industry. And this is actually my second company in the uh, e-discovery space. I was brought in after I had a couple of successful exits. I'd made some uh, connections through various investors and, and board members. And uh, at my last company, the board members brought me in to help get the company ready for sale. So I spent about a year and a half there and we had a, a nice exit out of that. And then after we got that sold, actually the broker in that deal uh, introduced me to the CEO at, at Sandline who uh, isn't looking to sell. They actually want to be on the other side. They want to be acquiring companies, but um, they were in this space, like, like you described where startup, great business, everybody loves what they're doing. Back office and finance is, you know, an afterthought. Um, so they knew that they needed to professionalize and, and uh, sort of get ready for scale up and for acquisition. So they brought me in. I've been there about a year and it's been, it, it's funny in the startup space, like you can talk about, oh, this is my role, but everybody has multiple roles. Mm. And um, so the biggest thing I've been doing is moving the company to an ERP system from, they were actually on QuickBooks and they were about at the max of where, you know, max size of what a company should be when you're using QuickBooks. They were over 10 million in revenue and they just you know, needed a lot more functionality. I mean, QuickBooks is great. I've, I've been with several companies that use it and it's, it's great for what it is. Um, but I think everybody kind of hits a point where it's time to move on to the next thing. So mm -hmm. that's, um, so I've been, um, doing what I do here for about a year and we're, uh, in that year, even though <laughs> we're trying to slow down, but these opportunities come up, we've actually, we acquired a company in Germany. Uh, so we are, we have offices in, um, well, we acquired a company in Ger Germany. We're opening an office in New York. We just, uh, got office space there and they're finishing up the build out. So I think next month we'll have our, uh, New York office look, location open, but we've got an office in Taipei and it's been a cool journey for me because this is the first international company where I've worked. So I'm learning, you know, more on international accounting and transfer pricing and all this. So that's the great thing about doing this so long. And by being in a position where I can move around to these different businesses, I'm constantly seeing and learning new things. I'm, I'm dealing with the international learning as well. Like obviously in the Amazon space, there's, um, you know, I think we have sellers in 11 different marketplaces on Amazon. So Australia and Japan and, um, you know, working with Chinese manufacturers, uh, sourcing from China or South America. Uh, some of our team is remote. Um, you know, now I'm paying employees that are on the other side of the world and understanding, you know, conversion rates and what's the best software, what's the best uh, service provider to use to transfer my money or my payments or my wires. Um, things I didn't have to deal with before, right? But as you're scaling, um, you're setting up for this. Like one silly example would be, um, I was at a local bank here in Kansas City um, that I went to because the teller and the account manager there was a close friend. And um, 
I'm like, if I'm going to bank, why not do it with my friends? Uh, you know, uh, so I, I went to this local bank. I love supporting local. Well, within a year or two, he had moved on as far as like my relationship there. Um, you know, my business was doing about a million dollars, I think, or it's a little bit plus. So, you know, moving some funds through the, a local bank as a small startup. Um, but everything online was just like pulling teeth. So if I went in person, it's cool. I can they'll treat, give treats to my dog and this and that and whatever. Um, but I'm, I was trying to create a business at scale where I could send payments or wires from Vegas while I'm at a conference or um, there's no limitations to needing to show up in person and do things um, because I'm thinking about the future ahead of time. Right. And it probably took me a year and a half really to completely merge to a new bank. Um, not, you know, not the initial process, but by the time you get everything moved over in your bank accounts and where payments are coming in and all that kind of stuff. But it was a small move to set up my next move, you know, and I think that that's really um, I've tried to be in the cloud or be able to operate every aspect of my business um, remotely so that we can become more flexible and, you know, doing things like that even before the pandemic happened. Uh, you know, we, we just wanted to be flexible to be able to scale. And I think that sometimes it is hard. It's difficult. Like switching to the ERP, I'm just in my head was like, I, I can't imagine what that lifting looks like. Um, from a perspective, but it's, you have to have someone that's been there and done it before to kind of, or you can figure that stuff out on your own. But you know, that's why bringing someone in like you to say, Hey, you guys are trying to get to this. Um, you know, how do we do that? What should we start with first? Like what, what are we going to need when we get there? You, you said something, I'm going to pause with that, that note and, and go back to something you said just a second ago for my, for my own selfishness, but you said, we're trying to slow down, but opportunities just keep coming up. And that's something that I'm living with hard right now um, in the Amazon e-commerce space. In that aspect, you know, I typically am just saying like, hey, when it's in growth mode, just grow. And then you can lean up later, you know, talking to a CFO. Um, I don't know how much you agree with that. But for me, it's like being growth mode or lean mode. Don't try to do both. But what if growth mode is four years long? Yeah, I mean if you can, if you can sustain it, then that's awesome. But you start thinking about, and I just, you know, I know from being in the startup space for so long, you know, you're passionate about it because you're, it's your baby and you're, you know, you're putting everything into it. So you, you know, have nights where you sleep on the, on the couch at the office and you, you know, just, you work whenever you have to, because you're passionate about it and you see these opportunities and it's growing and it's great, but everybody has their limits at some point. And that's where, you know, and then, to your point about growth mode and lean mode, I guess I'll go back and say, there's also the financial aspect. Like we, uh, you know, good cash flow in the company, but good opportunities too. And you think, okay, here's our cash flow. Here's our budget. This isn't in the budget, but it's a really good opportunity. So having to stay flexible and we're in a fortunate situation that we don't have any outside investors or anything, but think about if you're in a situation where you have outside investors and they have certain expectations of the business and you see this opportunity and you know, it's golden, but you've got to get, get it through a board or whatever. But if you have, you know, if you're, if you can get this stuff in place and you can be kind of a data-driven organization and you've got the sort of the background information to support what you want to do. And it's not just, I want to do this because it sounds cool or it feels good or it looks like it might work. If you can say, look, here's you know our penetration in this market, but if we buy this company, we would automatically pick up this, you know, whatever the, the case is. The justification. When you can, yeah. When you can do it 
with data instead of, man, I just really want to do this. It makes it easier. And even if you don't have a board, you want to act like you do. You don't want to just follow every whim of a single person. So if you've got, you know, trusted close advisors, you want to use that too. And, and one of those trusted close advisors should always be someone who, I don't mean, it's not like the CF no, you know, <laughs> where, where you just shoot down everything, but you want someone who has an understanding of, okay, this is the opportunity cost. This is, you know, the, the danger to our cash flow or whatever. You've got to have that voice in the room, even if it isn't fine. Yes, no doubt. Um, and I have surrounded myself with that because I am a 99.5% positive glass half full type person. It's just who I am. Um, so I've always, whether it was making it a partner or a roommate or, um, you know, people in my business to, to run those ideas by, um, my board, so to speak, I have my lawyer and my CPA, you know, that will tell me no all the time, <laughs> but you know, um, I didn't get to where I'm at by listening to people say no, or, or be like, you know, fear driven or those kinds yep, of yep. things. Like yep. I have taken on an industry, um, way before there was anyone doing it. So it was 99 no's, right. You know, in a lot of ways, um, creating a service-based agency, no one's doing service-based anymore. It's tech, tech, tech. Um, if you're looking for investment, if you're looking to exit all those things. Um, but sometimes, you know, as a founder, you're just like, Hey, I got to take this opportunity. I got to go. And, um, it's something I'm really thinking about this year as I set my goals and, um, I'm looking to 2022, what I'm going to do with the business is just simply, how do I have great boundaries around saying no or pause on those, some of those opportunities? Um, cause there isn't enough time in the day in some cases to justify, saying yes or no. And it just has to be a yes or no. Um, you know, whether that's buying a, cause I'm buying brands, um, building brands as well, uh, like in a similar way as Sandline, um, nothing big, not, not buying other agencies, but, um, bringing brands under us and, um, just seems like the, it's, it's a crazy time. Uh, but I need to, I believe in the saying, um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And, you know, that's where I'm really like, hey, we're going to do better work if we slow down um, in order to do so. I, I could talk on that all day because that is so top of mind for me. But um, let's talk a little bit more about Sandline Discovery and how you are helping um, a specific niche uh, scale and be able to operate more efficiently. I think we touched touch base quickly on what you guys do. Um, but give us a rundown, an elevator pitch on um the specific industry you're in and, and how you're helping with AI and, and software as a service um, execute more efficiently. Yeah, sure. So like a lot of industries, there is a danger right now uh, because there's a lot of competition and services, there's a pressure towards commoditization of services, which you never want to be in an industry where that's going on. But, you know, the more competitors there are and the harder it is to differentiate between um, you know, your, what you do versus what somebody else does, you end up competing on price a lot. And then truthfully, m most providers now are using a couple of key uh, software platforms in the industry. There's not a lot of uh, development and because it takes so long and because it's, the industry is a little bit long in the tooth now in that people, the, the big dogs, the software providers have been doing this a while. So are you going to come in and create a new software on a bootstrap or, you know, even raising a couple million dollars or whatever, that's going to go against the, you know, the thousand pound gorilla in the room. And chances are no, but everybody, it's interesting the way that businesses try to differentiate themselves 
from one another is you want to get out of the pricing game because that's a, a no-win situation. But you there's build-on intellectual property and some development that supports it. And then it's just on quality of service. And my company is a real white glove kind of concierge mm-hmm. level service. But I guess, and I don't remember if we were talking before the show or, or in the uh, once we started broadcasting, but just a little background on the, the industry I'm in. It's a legal technology. Um, e-discovery is the uh, specific area that we're in, but we're also moving into some forensics and that's a way we're trying to differentiate ourselves. I talked about opening the office in New York. That is our forensics lab and it's digital forensics, not, you know, blood splatter and stuff like that, but forensics of everything from blockchain analysis to, um, uh, to, you know, going through and, uh, doing collections on cell phones and laptops and all that and getting the digital evidence off of it. So it's forensics and investigations, but, um, you know, e-discovery, the simplest way to describe what that is, is if whether you're a plaintiff or a defendant in a lawsuit before a lawsuit, you know, they, in the discovery phase, there's interrogatories, which are questions that go back and forth between each side. There's a deposition where you sit down under oath and you answer questions from the other side. And then there's discovery, which is turning over relevant files and documents. And, um, years ago before, uh, everything went digital, if you were suing a big company, you'd just go and collect all the files out of their file cabinets. And, you know, you'd have a few bankers boxes and you'd sit down and paralegals, uh, or re- reviewers would go th- or attorneys would go through and look at the documents and figure out what's relevant and what's not. Well, we, I mean, think about all the digital information that's out there now. And, um, you know, if you're a, a big company, um, I don't want to say any of our specific client names or anything, but if you're a big company that's involved in a lot of litigation, I mean, there's terabytes and terabytes of data and it's too much information for people to go through and look at every single document. Um, so before you can even get to the documents that you do review for a lawsuit, whether you're, uh, being sued or suing someone else, um, you've got to sort of cull that set of data down. So we use uh, machine learning to go through and it, we train, um, train the algorithms on what to look for and what's, you know, relevant, not relevant. And it's, it's amazing to see how far, uh, machine learning has come and how, um, this is, it's called technology assistant assisted review and just how accurate it is now and how much better with machine learning than just, you know, before AI and ML had kind of gotten up to the level where they are now, it would basically be like, you know, writing database queries for certain words, or, you know, very specific yep. things. So it's, it's a cool industry to be in. And there's a lot of consolidation right now, which is, I think the reason I'm able to jump from one thing to the next, because everybody wants to position themselves either better to be purchased or to raise money or to purchase other companies and put these processes in place. So, um, you know, maybe you, you talked about consolidation in, in your industry and a, a lot of M&A activity. Um, I, it's always fun to be in that kind of space because it's got yeah, it is a lot exciting. of that attention. And yeah, yeah. It's made the conferences more fun. Uh, there's definitely, there, you know, people trying to smooge businesses and the after parties and like the e-commerce space has just kind of exploded since the pandemic and with it, the M&A side of it. Um, it's one of the, the areas uh, to invest in that actually have profitable businesses, the Amazon model. Um, and so for a lot of investment firms, it's come, it's become a little bit more sexy than it used to be. Um, you know, it's not, it, uh, it doesn't have this massive potential. Well, if we grab a hundred of them, it sure does. Cause they're all profitable. Right. You know? And so that's kind of, I think what's happening. Um, 
I have some questions based on the overview, but before we do, I want to give one more shout out to our sponsor. Um, this episode is supported by Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat discussing tech topics, big, small, and strange. We're talking about uh, a company right now, Sandline Discovery, um, that helps lit litigators um, with AI and ML. Like Things are changing every single day. Um, it's super exciting what tech is bringing to the space. Compiler, this podcast, um, it's ran by a couple of hosts, uh, so you'll hear a lot of different voices on the podcast. It unravels industry topics, trends, and the things you've always wanted to know about tech through interviews with the people who know it best. Uh, I listen to three or four episodes. It's, it's really a podcast getting um, its feet under it, but listen to three or four uh, episodes even before this one. I just really wanted to know what was going on there. Um, and they're covering some really cool topics, and they're bringing in industry experts um, to speak to those. So learn more about Compiler at RedHat.com or clicking the link in the show notes. Um, Glenn, I wanted to kind of talk talk about, I guess, a specific question around how the AI and the ML works. Um, thinking about data in the Amazon space, I'm not making guesses out here when I'm running brands. I'm, I'm running PPC and data analysis and um, analytics and figuring out what the best keyword searches are and what images convert best and how long people are spending on the product pages. And it's very scientific in that way. It's creative, but it's, you know, it's very scientific. Um, I would assume that not only are you helping save money or whatever on the manpower side of going through these documents and just time spent and human error and things like that, um, but also maybe doing a better job of, of, um, proving cases or disproving cases or getting that information that maybe just would take too much time. Um, so whether those are lost lawsuits or one lawsuits, I would assume there's a lot of data around um, just being able to do a much thorough job, much more thorough job. Um, can you speak to some of that? I don't know if I, if the, any of that made sense, but for me, um, I would think it'd have a huge impact. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, there are, and I, let me talk about this. Let me quickly address what Sandline does, and then I'll talk more about my specific thing in finance in particular, regardless okay. of your industry. So from what Sandline does prior to, so there's this influx of data that just keeps growing exponentially, more and more data all the time. So the old model is breaking or it broke so quickly that you can't sit down. I mean, you're going to have, and you do have this sometimes, and it depends on the which court you're in and what the, what the people on both sides of the suit are. There are still plenty of manual uh, reviews going on and we still even do it. So you, you may call the first set, but then once you get to the relevant data or what you think is relevant, then you have manual, you know, people come in and review it and you have, and these are lawyers and some people offshore that's probably for us law and because of language barriers and stuff, that's probably not the best idea. So, but there's, there are rooms full of lawyers going through document after document and still reviewing. And that's still a part of what we do, but it's untenable. If you didn't have a way to run this many terabytes of data through, I mean, the, the cost of, of litigation would be, it's already high. But if you had to have individuals review every single document, look at every CAD drawing or Excel document, trying to find relevancy, I mean, it would be, you'd miss so much. So, mm. I mean, that's a, a great area where machine learning just picks it up and uh, makes it so much easier that instead of having to review 10 million documents, maybe you get it down to a million, you know, you, um, 
So, or, you know, maybe you get rid of 70% of them even out of the gates. And there's, and that's a way that people in our industry try to differentiate themselves is like, how much can we call down and know that this is really the relevant set? And then there's, you get into some pretty interesting things with statistics too. Like here's your uh, sample size, and then here's the total population. How much can you review and have a, to be able to represent the entire population. But that would be like a whole statistics podcast. So we won't really get all into that now. But then on the other side of that, where I'm really trying to carve out my niche is what we can automate on the finance side. And right now, truthfully, where when I talk about artificial intelligence in finance, the state of the industry in finance right now, it's not true artificial intelligence. It's something called RPA or robotic process automation. Automation, is, yep. Yeah, which is so, you know, it's it's certainly time consuming, but we don't, especially in the sector, the under $100 million in revenue, you know, we have data and we're collecting more every day and we're using internal and external data and we're using that to drive the business, but we don't have the kind of data that Amazon does, that uh, Facebook does, that, um, you know, these, that all these big companies um, do. So there's not enough data to train the algorithms yet, but robotic process automation is going through and, you know, taking OCR software or whatever, scanning the documents point it's, and it's, it is automating plenty of stuff that's freeing up. And there's, there's software for just about everything in the finance function that automates it now, whether it's expense tracking. And you've seen these, I'm sure you probably get emails. People uh, have your employees uh, run their own payroll, you know, or yep, like, yep. yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, expense tracking, payroll, accounts payable, accounts receivable, bank reconciliations, financial close. There's, there's automation software out there that does all that. So me as a finance guy, if I'm reading, you know, if I'm reading the tea leaves, it's like, whoa, my whole profession is going to get replaced by robots. Um, so what, where do I add value? And so what I'm preaching is, and you mentioned, you know, you can do it more efficiently and you can do it with fewer people, but what I'm pushing more for, and this is going to be the reckoning just with AI and ML in general is, uh, you know, what are people going to do when, uh, robots and computers can take, <laughs> all of our jobs. So I'm really pushing for t this mindless tasks of data entry and just the boring, you know, repetitive tasks that uh, are lower skilled work. And if you can take those people, you know, like I hire people with uh, undergrad degrees in, in accounting or finance, those people don't go to school with the idea of, I want to go be doing data entry all day, every day. They want to do something meaningful. So if I can, but the nature of the business prior to all this automation was um, that they have to do a bunch of data entry. Somebody's got to no, do it, but that's going exactly. away. So now what are you going to do? You, so what I focus on, and you have to have someone with the right mindset for it is shift those mindless tasks to mindful work. So um, where do you find the value? And so instead of spending the time entering the data, we're running it through models. We're trying to find correlations. We're data mining, trying to figure out ways to predict customer churn, to predict, you know, who's most likely to sign up with us to help sales and marketing and support the other departments. We become sort of this utility player that is, we're not biased towards our own department as a finance group. We're there to support every other department in the company. I love we're that. objective and we go to it. And this it actually makes it cool and fun and creative. And you can be creative with numbers. You know, it's like you talked about, you have this creative angle, makes you an entrepreneur. You have to do the process stuff, but you can still find ways to get for that creative energy to come out. Wow. I love that. And we just, we relate on so many things today, like even uh, stop being in a band because of marriage uh, and tired <laughs> of being poor. Yeah. And um, 
you know, in my business, I spend almost all day trying to figure out ways of making my employees jobs better. Um, so they're not doing the boring stuff like report building. For example, as was a big focus for me last year was I don't want them spending a minute getting a report together for a client. I'm sorry. I just don't want my people doing report building for you. Uh, you know, I'd rather have all the K- main KPIs that you need to see come to you automatically when you want them. And my, my players spend time on relationship building, on strategy, on what are ways like analyzing the data, I guess, instead of putting it together. Um, you can do that in almost every area of your business from sales to the accounting, to the account management, to bookings, calls. Like, do I want my assistant, uh, just scheduling me all day? Right. Or would I rather have her, um, updating my client list and their churn dates and, you know, whatever, like, you know, it's, it's, what would I be doing if I had that time? And I think that, you know, I, I remember replacing, um, a lady in an e-commerce business, talk to the brand they had been in business a while um, and they had an older lady that was manually sending out emails for orders that came through. And that seems like status quo now, right? But having automation in that area, but she legitimately like sent an email to them and that was her job. And um, for $28.99 a month, I replaced her. Yeah. Right. Crazy. And, and they didn't get rid of her. They simply found something else for her to do that's customer touches. Maybe it's, um, you know, that person that ordered their 10th thing. Maybe it's sending them out packages or like, you know, it's just about evolving and finding more things that we can do um, that isn't mindless. And I, I really relate to that, whether it's finance or, or any area of a, of a business. Um, get people doing more rewarding work and you'll have less people problems, yeah. you know, um, yeah, and let me let me throw one other yeah, uh, thing do. on top of that. So you talked about you know you don't want your people putting together reports, and this is this is what I'm excited about and what we're working towards at Sandline right now is like I'm all for internally. I don't want any internal gatekeepers of data. So democratization of the data is a buzzword that I just you know I just bang that drum constantly of. Like, I don't want you to have to, if you're trying to find information about a, a customer, you shouldn't have to come to me and wait on my schedule. Like some people think they find power in that. Like, oh, you want that information? You got to come to me and I'll make you wait. And that's where their power comes from. I don't want my power coming from that. I want my power of, you know, the one that freed the data and let, let it all go. And so let people build their own reports. But what, and we went, and that's the culture we have internally, but what we're trying to build now, and you know, you've got security issues and everything. So we're taking our time with it. But what we want to do is a business intelligence platform where clients can go at any time in the month and see, because we have hosting of all this data is a big part of what we do and processing this data and managing users. And, and then even, but even the, the transactional part of the work that we do as the project managers or forensics people or whoever logged their time, what if you could, if you're a law firm trying to control your spend, what if at any time in the month you could go through and look at the amount of gigabytes you have hosted with us, the number of users you have, what work's gone in, or uh, to your question earlier about uh, the reviews, if you know if you know you submitted 100 million documents to be reviewed, how much have we called that list out? Where are we in it? And then, and then if that frees up your um, project managers and, and whoever internally from having to answer those kind of questions from the customers, if that's self-serve, then even they get better at what they do. And you you know how it is if you're trying to work on something and you're constantly getting pecked to death with Slack messages and emails coming in and you can't stay focused. But if we can get our project managers and everybody in the company out of that reactive, putting out fires and answering these 
sort of mundane questions, if you can put that back in the client's lap and then get them focused on deep work, the quality of work that they do is just so much better. And that's, I'm really excited about that for us for 2022. Yeah. Everyone, everyone is better served. The client's getting better work. We're not spending our time doing mindless things. We're actually working on the things that can impact your business. The employees aren't wasting their time. Um, think about, it's like social media. It can be a negative. It can be a positive, right? It's, it's how you use it and what counts you're following, what inputs you're allowing on those accounts. And are you being authentic? Or are you just posting what you, you know, the best parts of your life? Um, that's on you to do. Right. And I think that's the same thing with replacing employees with automation and outsourcing and things like that. It's like, look, you can, you can get two outsource individuals that can support someone here doing something at a higher level, like figure it out for you and your business and whatever that looks like. It's not just about replacing people. Um, it's about improving efficiency. Um, okay. So we're coming up on the hour and I want to make the best use of the time, but before we go, once again, deep finance, the book can find it on any platform, but I would love you to leave like any of our listeners with just, um, it's, it's the new year. Um, you know, so just leave them with, um, a piece of advice, uh, and, and then where people can contact you or, or learn about Sandline discovery or your own personal brand, just your contact points. We'll have them in the show notes, but, um, I would love you to leave that with our listeners as well. Yeah, sure. So my piece of advice, I don't know why this came up to me earlier and maybe it's, you know, I don't know if you're quite there yet, or in, I think that it's this space that I've operated in. You know, when you you go to the beach and you walk out, my wife hates the the water in the beach. Like she loves to look at it, but she gets freaked out that Jaws is going to come get her or whatever. So we go to get in the water and, you know, you've, the first couple of feet at the beach is, is just where after the waves have broken and it's, you're just, you know, the shallow water there. And then you get to that one spot where the waves are breaking and it's really the churned up area and it's the the sort of the roughest part of the beach. And then once you get past that, it's sort of smooth and you're back to the waves again. Well, I always think about that. Like, and then people, you know, if you get stuck there, how unpleasant the ocean would seem if you don't move, move past that. And so I think about that as a metaphor for a startup and you come in, have this great idea with your startup and you start getting traction and the business starts scaling up and scaling up and scaling up. But then you sort of hit this rough patch where you're operating at, sort of peak what you can do under the old, whether it's no processes or whatever those initial processes are. And there's, this is called the trough of disillusionment is what it's called. So you, you know, you have this growth, 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 and then you get stuck in this area where you can't, if you don't, if you don't step back and look at the business and figure out what you're going to do, you'll just spend forever sort of churning in this area where the waves are breaking and it's all the busted up shells and everything. And it's really an unpleasant place to be. So what, I think where I am now at this company, I was able to come in, you know, maybe at the front edge of that, but the time to make the change is before you get into that and to prepare yourself for the next level. So constantly kind of looking at where you are and looking at your people. And I talked about burnout earlier. And if, you know, if everybody's been going for this long time and they're working these crazy days and you're, it doesn't feel like there's an end in sight, that's the time to step back and look at where you want to go and really objectively evaluate what you're doing in your business. That might be time to bring in an advisory panel, a new person that is just going to be an operations guy or gal and, um, or, you know, someone like I am in the, in uh, the finance space or whatever that maybe can add that. But this is where, you know, founders maybe tend to usually be a lot younger. Maybe this is where you bring in someone with some experience that can help get you through that. But I guess my advice to 
that I would give on the new year is be, be aware of where you are and are you stuck in that trough of disillusionment? And if so, start figuring out a, a way to, to get out of it. I so love it. I love it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> no, it's, 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 a, it's great advice. Like I, I'm there in some ways. Um, other ways I've gotten out of some of that stuff, you know, and, and like I said, my focus is my employees. So it's like, maybe they're doing some of that stuff that I hated. Um, the count calls, the update calls the reports, you know, I'm just like, I'm trying to build some stuff and create and, you know, create relationships with you and Israel that are going to help your business grow. Cause I'm going to bring those to you as a brand. Like that's the stuff that drives me. But I also understand that I need systems and process and my finance needs to be locked in in order to get to that next level. So it's kind of like, I would consider it like eating the dirt. You got to get in there and just do the work. Um, but if I didn't know where we were trying to go with it, it would be very, like very um, disheartening for sure. Exactly. Feel like, is this what really what I like? Why am I doing this? I could go take a nine to five and, and, and make six figures easily and have none of the stress. Yeah. Right. Um, so very great advice. Um, and lastly, where, where can people contact you? Social media? Yeah. So I'm uh, LinkedIn is probably the best. I'm not, I've never been on Facebook. Um, I've got a Twitter account. I don't spend a lot of time on there. Um, it's, you know, unless I want to go fight someone, I guess, that's when I go on Twitter. Um, but LinkedIn is probably that. the best. I've got a website. It's glennhopper.com. Um, and, is the book uh, there? Uh, the book is, I'll, it links to Amazon there. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So. I love it. Well, you guys heard it. I'll have those. I'll have those links in um, the show notes as well. In case you're driving, you can you can look it up later. Um, Glenn, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And once again, shout out to today's sponsor for our episode of Startup Hustle Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat discussing tech topics, big, small and strange. Listen to Compiler on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to Compiler for supporting our show, Startup Hustle. Glenn, um, I'm going to pick up a copy of the book, leave a review on Amazon because I know how important that is. Um, and best of luck. Thanks, Andrew. We'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.